Welcome to Graphic Policy Radio, the show where comics and politics meet. This is your host, Ilana Levin, a.k.a. Ilana Brooklyn. Welcome back. Back talking about comics for the first time in a while now. Um, Yes, this is still a comics podcast. And uh, I'm really excited that I'm going to be talking with an artist whose work I have appreciated for a while now and who has been on the, the show once before really interesting smart artist and uh, a big fan of his work artistically and intellectually on every level um we're being joined by ramon villalobos and uh he is a professional comic artist who lives in stockton california he's worked on books such as e for extinction which was one of those awesome x-men titles during the whole um secret wars shakeup uh nighthawk which I've talked about on the show a lot, America, which I've also talked about on the show a lot, and now Border Town, among others. And today we're going to be talking about his new series, Border Town. When a crack in the border between worlds releases an army of monsters from Mexican folklore, the residents of Devil's Fork, Arizona, blame the ensuing weirdness, the shared nightmares, the otherworldly radio transmissions, the mysterious goat mutilations on, quote, gog dang illegals, quote, with racial tensions supernaturally charged, it's up to the new kid in town, Frank Dominguez, and a motley crew of high school misfits to discover what's really going on in this town torn between worlds. Uh, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I um, I just realized I felt like morally re- responsible for making a motley crew joke at this point and not quite <laughs> sure how to stick that. I love um, motley crew. I saw them in concert in like 05 post face surgery Vince Neil it was incredible oh god yeah I heard that year was amazing I was gonna see them a few years ago and when I heard the most recent video of live I said maybe yeah. not so it's like you basically saw the last time like the last, it was ever worth yeah. seeing them yep yeah no, I mean like you know I was born in 87 so that was really the moment like that was you know they were back uh Mick, Ma- Mick Mars could walk so yeah Barely, oh, not well, and but he was out there. You know, not he was well, but could. Big, yeah, yes. he could do it. And there actually that, is a rational was, segue here. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, just real quick. That that was one of the first times where, like, uh, I remember I went to that concert, and there was this dude running around, like, dressed like Motley Crue in the 80s, and there was, like, then some, like, yes. old, there was, like, some old white dude who was, like, a fan of them the 80s, just in, like, the, you know, sort of... A broad sense of was just like he I remember he said something like really homophobic about the guy you know and uh I was like you're at a Motley Crue concert <laughs> like yeah that guy's dressed <laughs> like he's like into Motley Crue like I, it was so bizarre but anyways that's really in some ways pre- just so predictable in the worst way possible yeah I, I I have definitely seen at shows contemporary shows like you we will totally see young people like people who are like 21 and below wearing acid washed jeans and like clothing that my friends older brothers and sisters owned you know in the day at wearing it in all earnestness like to bring it back at metal shows today and it's just like it was ugly the first time and i still love it <laughs> because it's so over the top yeah but um but the last time you were on the show you're we talking about nighthawk which i'm a huge fan of really one of the smartest political comics that came out what year was it even? Uh, it was it would have been two years ago because last year I did some ago. work on America and then the year before that, so twenty sixteen, I guess. Maybe cool, twenty fifteen. Cool. And I, you know, I tell people, I tell all my like lefty activist friends, I was like, you guys, in this comic, there's a superhero who's black who is literally fighting the police department, the Chicago Police Department, <laughs> yeah. not quote one bad apple quote. No. The police department. <laughs> the police department, gentrifiers. Like, David Walker, the writer on that book, had, like, he had a field day. Like, it was it was pretty incredible. I've been actually pretty fortunate that, like, when people hire me for books, it's always something kind of, like, off the beaten path. Uh, just because I think my style sort of uh, makes people think, like, oh, this guy probably shouldn't do, like, generic Spider-Man, like, spinoff. But if there's something hmm. cool... And like political, like he's very, like I'm very down for it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I've been pretty fortunate that like I don't ever do something that's too boring. And like, I, honestly, it's because sometimes too, if they get, if I get that offer, I'm like, eh, I'm I'm good. 
but also because editors know that like that's the stuff that I like anyways. So it's been pretty. Uh, and I have pretty seen you do a really awesome Spider-Man pinup recently for a commission. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I do like to draw that stuff, but like if I'm going to be spending my like days, weeks, months doing it, like I'd rather it be something that is like sort of I I do like doing like the political stuff. I do like sure. doing the stuff that's like it means something, you know, because there's no like real sidelines anymore to, like, stand on and, like, just have escapist, like, fun, like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, there's, yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the things we always say is that, like, literally all art is political, and if it's not sit- making a clear message to you, it's probably because it's just saying that the world is fine the way it is. Yeah. Which it's not. <laughs> right. So, it's, it's, it's pretty, like, uh, it's one of the things that, like, when I see, like, friends of mine who have comics that are, like, they're like I don't know. It's just, it maybe feels like a little scared, or, or like they genuinely would just rather tell a story that has nothing to do with that. Like I, I just always wonder why. Like because the stuff that I like to do generally will say something about like something, and like again, that's mm-hmm. just, I've been in a fortunate position that like I work in a time where like the comic the editors are like interested in telling those kind of stories, and like the companies are like willing to fund that kind of stuff, but. Um, you know, yeah, like, there's so many and comics awesome, that man. don't do anything, you know? Yeah, but I also get tired when media critics will sort of take something as being non-political when there really is lots of subtext in there as well, you know? Sure, yeah. But I'm really excited about, about when I, but when I saw the preview stuff for, for Border Town, I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is, like, right in the wheelhouse of graphic policy radio because it's very comic and it's very politic. Um, how did you uh, get connected to the project? So the way the book came about was Eric Esquivel, who's the writer, um, he had been pitching this kind of like story of Border Town, like uh, two different publishers for a long time. And it was sort of his like, okay, like this is my like Hail Mary pitch of like, I'm going to pitch this and if they approve it, then that'll be amazing. But most likely they won't and that's fine. But it was like it's a very personal story for him because it's about a kid who is um, half Latino or like, you know, his uh, his father is Latino. His mom is just Anglo-Saxon, you know, Caucasian, whatever. And he moves from like Minnesota to a border town in Arizona, which is like kind of parallels Eric's uh, background was he was from like Illinois. Then he moved to like a border town and it was like Mm. a big culture shock for him. And also because he sort of, like, can pass as white. It was, like, a very, like, in-between two different tribes kind of uh, experience that he had. And he wanted to tell that story. And he'd been pitching to Vertigo. And one of the editors there was like, dude, just do the kind of thing that you want to do. And he wanted to tell that story. And uh, he had had me in mind because I'm just an artist that he really likes. And he had actually met him at, like, San Diego, like, a couple years earlier. And uh, he came up to my table and was like, hey, man, my name's Eric, and I think it would be really great to work with you someday. And I was like, all right, cool, like, whatever. <laughs> like, I'm like, whatever, like, I don't know, I don't really know you like that, but yeah, someday, that'd be cool, I guess. I'd like to work with anybody. So, um, he, we like, when we finally linked up, we, like, talked about that story, and it's, like, kind of a surreal, like, and we're here now doing this book. That's, like, his dream project with me which is like, uh, you know, and so they approached me to do it with sort of like that in mind. And I had had other mm-hmm. opportunities, but like, you know, sort of after the election, there was a lot of like months of just like depression, honestly, where <laughs> like after Nighthawk finished, uh, was right around the time of the election. And, uh, I spent the last year, like not doing as much work as I should have just being kind of out of it, like trying to get engaged politically locally. And that maybe drew some of my attention away, but like, you know, that stuff's important too. And, um, yeah, especially local stuff. That's like my, yeah, that's like my focus myself. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's more important than the national stuff even really, but, um, that like, it, not saying that that was like an excuse for like, why I didn't make comics last year as much as I should have, but that was definitely a factor in it. And so, well, this... We were all experiencing trauma, and like the fact that yeah. I think we're not allowed to acknowledge that is messed up. 
Right. You know, and I, and I, I think there was that, a lot more conversation around that. Oh, for sure. And like, I'm pretty fortunate that I had a lot of friends that I could sort of like commiserate with. Like the night of the election, me and like one of my 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 collaborator Tamara, who's trans, uh, my colorist on Border Town, Nighthawk, America. She's so good. She's amazing. And uh, our friend Ibrahim Mustafa, who's a, you know, um, he's Egyptian American, but you know, he's like grew up Muslim. Like we were all mm-hmm. talking like election night, and ju- it was just like a very like. Uh, profound, just like moment where we were just like, wow, this is gonna be a long four years, <laughs> you know, uh, like for like a Mexican, yeah. a trans uh, woman, and a Muslim, a former Muslim, you know, guy. It was just like this is like this is the the target, like these, we're the scapegoats, <laughs> and we're like, yeah. you know, just we were all just like, you know, industry guy, pe- like professional comic artists, that were just like, wow, this is gonna get really shitty for the next year, and it did, so. When mm-hmm. I got approached to do Border Town, it was sort of at like the the lowest part of that, I think, because it was like after sort of like the uplifting stuff of like the beginning of that, where people were sort of like really fighting back, and then you know the year of sort of like doing stuff, and then sort of at the end of that year, I was really on a low, <laughs> I was really at a low point, if I'm being honest, and then I mm-hmm. got approached by my editor Andy about doing this book, and. He was like, you know, I told him like, dude, honestly, I am depressed and uh, I need, you know, I could use work, but I'm not sure if this is the right thing. Well, let me make you feel better. You need to do this comic. And he sort of pitched it as what it is. And I was intrigued by it. And then he told me that in addition to that, it was going to be relaunching Vertigo Comics, which was like, uh, they make like Vertigo as like a publishing line some of my absolute favorite comics of all time came from that. So, mm-hmm. um, I was like, all right, like that sounds great, but I don't know if they really mean it. And like, honestly, the support that we've had has been incredible from, from DC vertigo. So, um, then yeah, after I, I was actually like playing poker with friends and I was kind of just going full tilt and, I was talking to my friends and I was like, "Should I like take this book with Vertigo?" And they were like, "Yeah, like you should." Yeah. I was like, "All right, yeah, I'm gonna do it. Like, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call my editor tomorrow and just be like, hey, Andy, I'm in.' So that's what I did, and then now I'm here. It's been pretty. It's been pretty great, though. That's awesome. I mean, I'm not your manager, obviously, but I'm like, and I kind of hate talking about things as being on brand. But this is the most on brand thing for you, I right? Mean, yeah, I, I can't imagine this coming out with a different artist. Like, yeah, I they really can't. They really I, couldn't either. When they pitched the book to get it sort of approved, they had art of mine in it that had nothing to do with Border Town, like because I was not on the book. They just found random right. images that I had done and were like, "It'll look like this," and they were like, "Oh yeah, perfect." <laughs> so then. That, yeah, I found that out after the fact where they were like, listen, you were the only person and I'm actually a co-creator on the book because of how much That's work great. that I've done with like design wise and like in inputting like character stuff and like talking to Eric about like the general thing of the book. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty it's been it's been a great. great experience and it's been like definitely yeah, I like mean, I'm making sure that. And making sure that artists are understood as being real, full co-creators and work like this is so important. And and it's interesting knowing also that, yeah, like your art as it existed even before this series really informed what the style of the visuals was going to be. I mean, there, you know, this has, you know, luchador mask meets superhero t-shirt casual wear in school situation. And, you know, I, I can't really imagine who else would uh, really quite put that mix together in the same way? Um, I don't. I don't know if we want to go too much into the details of the specific character, but yeah, I can. would love to talk a little bit about it. Yeah. And the concept for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you talking about uh, like the character Quinta specifically? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He. Um. That's, like, sort of the character that I think everybody's, like, sort of favorite character is, which is, like, awesome for us because uh, he is, like, um, I think he's on the spectrum. I'm, I'm, you know, he's differently abled is what we generally refer to him as because Eric and I both have, uh, like, nieces and uh, nephews that are, you know, autistic. And we thought that was, like, really, uh, would be really cool to highlight a character who is that um, and... 
like show it as like a positive thing that's not like you know like he's awesome and like so are our nieces and nephews so that's you know there's gonna you're gonna learn more about him in the second issue what you know about him in the first one is he wears a wrestling mask he's kind of mysterious he's big like like tall and physically like wide which is funny because when i did the design for him i had a much rounder and Eric was like, oh, you know, I wasn't thinking so, like, soft-looking. I thought, like, more, like, kind of like an old-school luchador. And uh, it was it was amazing because, like, I had two points of reference for that character when I made him, which was, like, these two kids that I went to school with. And one of them was my, like, very good friend, but he's, like, very tall and bulky. Like, it is, he's, like, Quinta, like, build-wise. And the other one was mm-hmm. just somebody else. And I went with the latter just because... I was like, ah, oh, I don't, I think, uh, just based on what I know about this, maybe it's not right. And then when I found out, I was like, oh no, it's like one of my best friends. Like that's like the build. I was like, oh, that's perfect. That's like much easier actually. Cause I know like that guy, I know how he moves. I know like, you know, the thing about it, but, um, yeah. So he's like, he's definitely both of like our favorites and the mask thing was great. Cause I got to like, uh, design one and like a fan sent us, uh, like a homemade, like, but very like well-made wrestling mask of that thing when the book came out and that was neat i used to collect wrestling masks when I was in high school um at, like when i was younger oh, my wow. grandpa gave me a luchador mask from this character uh with this wrestler the black uh black hand mano negra and uh-huh. it was like my favorite like i wore it just like because when i was like you know had social anxiety and stuff like that like it, you know i was big into like slipknot kiss like metal stuff like that so I always thought, like, identity, like, where you could, like, impose it on yourself was, like, very cool. And mm. that's, like, a big part of why Quinta wears the mask, too. But, again, that's, like, stuff in the later that you'll find out. But, yeah, that was, you know, there's, like, so many weird little things where, like, it ties into my my background. Even though, like, you know, Eric sort of wrote it because it ties into his as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that there's so m- <clears throat> there's so many interesting conversations that happen about identity, even in this first issue. You know, when when I was beginning to schedule you for the show, I, I was wondering if there was a way I could get a review copy of issue two, because the way people write comics now, there's a lot of decompression that sometimes can make it feel like the, I don't have enough material to work with from issue one. That was not the case in this comic. Town, no. <laughs> it, in fact, it yeah. was much more compressed even than that. And I, I think Eric was told, like, you know, you got to, like, let it breathe a bit, um, mm. which I appreciate because, you know, I love compressed comics, but but it, they're harder to draw because <laughs> hmm. you just hmm. have to fit in so much more information and less space, you know? So... I mean, um, I'm like, look, yeah. But, you know, we... My... The general style that I do anyways, like, my form of storytelling... It like lends itself to that because it's pretty like straightforward, I think. But yeah, um, I love I love compressed comics. Like my like my favorite writer is Grant Morrison, and he's like kind of a master at doing that. Um, hmm. But yeah, no one of the one of the key sort of themes of the book is identity. So like Quinta is sort of like being able to you know like wear a mask that makes him feel how he doesn't feel inside is something uh is something that I definitely related to just being a fan of like you know Lucha Libre heavy metal like that kind of stuff growing up um and I mean it's also very sort of like superhero as well you know like yes it's Batman wait so this is a this is a Vertigo book which I probably should have said right off the bat so I could give people a sense of how easy to find this will be although you did sell out of issue one but issue yep. one is being reprinted that's right um, and it's out next week it's out October 10th the second printing October 10th okay yeah. it'll be out soon but yeah so this is a Vertigo book so that means that because it's you have you have access to the to the IP of DC to a certain extent. Like yeah. when you have characters who go to school, they can wear a Superman t-shirt or a little kid in the crowd can be a Batman fan and like comment that a certain person he's looking at looks like Bane. Right. And that's, that's an interesting advantage to have. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun because I think the general tone of the book that we have is like, we want it to be something that feels sort of like real world. Like, not really, though. Like, it's a hyper, it's a hyper, you know, 
it's a hyper version of reality. But um, that like I grew up loving DC Comics. I mean, like, or not grew up, but when I read comics in high school, mm -hmm. that was the stuff that I read. I didn't read Marvel comics, so mm -hmm. like when I, I, you know, I primarily worked at Marvel for since I've been in comics and. Uh, all the references of stuff that I would put in there was, you know, generally just stuff that was outside of comics. So when I got to do this, like, my, like, knowledge of stuff that I can just squeeze in was, like, much bigger. And actually, like, um, with with this specifically, that we were kind of told, like, hey, you might not want to put so much stuff in there because, you know, what if the you print it outside of DC Vertigo someday? And I was like, yeah, I mean, hmm. but what if like yeah, i don't like i'd rather have batman now than like i'll worry about that later <laughs> honestly but uh no there's like so many like neat little like easter eggs for people that like that kind of stuff in this in this book and it was like awesome to play with that because we can you know there's some stuff i think we can't like i think we were told like you know maybe looney tune stuff like warner brother stuff like broad broadly maybe is not okay to use but like the the comic stuff we're fully like we're in on that so it's neat oh that's really cool and you have a it one of the interesting i i don't want to give away when it comes up but you have a page here that references uh Mictlan, which is the capital city of the aztec underworld and you draw mm -hmm. it and what's so funny is you know you sort of look at it and say oh there's such an interesting kirby tribute but really it's because kirby was taking all those visual motifs right from all of these non these like non-european art influences like actual you know mayan and aztec art yeah well um, you know it's a mixture of kirby like mobius uh my buddy mm -hmm. nick dragata like a lot of the tech stuff i feel like i just rip off from east of west and then, yeah, like, Mesoamerican art and, like, architecture and, like, that kind of stuff, which is fun. Like, it's fun to mix all that stuff up and, like, present a version of, like, the underworld that you don't see. And, like, that part, like, part of that, too, that was so great is, like, working with Tamara, like, visually it feels different because most of the book is set in Arizona where it's just, like, sweltering mm -hmm. heat, you know? So everything's just, like, hot looking, like, oppressively hot. And then we get to that yeah. scene and I told Tamara, like... So at the end, like, I don't want hell to be, like, hot because we've just done that for the whole book. Like, I want it to feel, like, like cool and refreshing. So I would tell her, like, I needed to feel like a Sprite, uh, like a Sprite advertisement. And I would just send her, like, images of Sprite cans from the 90s. It was like, look at how refreshing this looks. It's just, like, blue and lime green. It's just, like, I want to drink this. Like, that's how I want that page to feel. It's like, okay, you know, we've just everything's just been so hot and like you're thirsty and like now have like a drink <laughs> and it like wow, that's character wise that, totally that builds into it you know like there's a oh really oh from the character who goes there you see like he's sort of like he goes there for healing he goes there for you know it's his home it's not he doesn't belong in that other world right but he doesn't say that he likes the sprite in you or an eye he doesn't know. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't say obey your thirst. I say that though. It's <laughs> important. Well, I. But the color, the color scheme really does work, and it is like this, like really strong difference in feeling, and I totally see it. And you and Tamara are like a comics art power duo. Like you work really well together. Um, you know, as that, I think that's that's a, a cool thing to be able to see two artists collaborate together consistently and sort of see how their work goes with each other yeah when i met her a few years ago she was working on a book with johnny christmas called pisces and she was when mm -hmm. i first met her like it was, she was doing like a live stream like of, of like it was a workroom where everybody was just like showing what they were working on and she was coloring that and i was like whoa that's like the real deal like you're amazing <laughs> and i at the time like i i had not like made colorist friends which is like so important for like comic artists to like have somebody they can depend on will work with them. And I met like, uh, I'm, I have so many now, like I have so many great friends that are like amazing color colorists. And, but I was like, man, Tamara is so good. And when it came time to do Nighthawk, I had already worked with like a couple other people or no, I think see, right before Nighthawk, I did a thing called secret wars. It was like demolition, man. It was like a five page thing. It was like a tryout thing for just like working with her. And we had like such a good time that 
after that, now whenever I start any project, I'm like, yeah, I'll do it, but I, I need to work with Tamara because she just makes my stuff look better. And Tamara sort of, like, understands, like, she could color my stuff pretty fast, and I usually will give her, like, ideas that make it fun. Like, like for that book, like I said, the sprite thing, but I've all, I also just sent her a bunch of, like, images of, like, Charles Barkley when he played for the Suns of, like, <laughs> this is a visual, like... Uh, point of reference like like any Arizona sports team I sent her that for like palette ideas like look at this this is the tone of it this is southwestern culture that's just like very stripped down and like clear so like that at the bit like you know even on Nighthawk I would send her images of like shoes that I liked that like fit the tone of it and, like, music videos and, like, Instagram filters. I'm just like, just do this. Just do this Instagram filter over this drawing, and that'll be great. So she, you know, oh, wow. I think I'm the only artist that will send her weird stuff, and she likes weird stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, for anyone interested, we had her on the show a couple, maybe, like, two years ago or a year ago. So you can listen to her interview directly at Graphic Policy Radio. Um you know, one of the other thoughts is just sort of like we have a comic where you have a whole crew of new characters who are all being introduced to or new to the reader. And, you know, it's clear like that there's certain visual things that have to come together. Like you have to have, you know, uh, your protagonist has to be light skinned enough that a racist can mistake him for a white guy, for mm-hmm. example. Um but what are the sort of character design elements? We talked a bit about um, one of the other main characters, but like, what are some of the character design aspects that you were bringing to the general, like the central core of people? Oh, yeah. In it, especially in the front cover. For sure. So the front cover was sort of like my template for the rest of the book. Like when I started it, I, I really wanted to approach it like a TV show that I want to watch, you know? And I love like... Uh, Dawson's Creek and like Degrassi and like all these kind of like teen melodrama like shows they're like my favorite things to watch so I approached it as like we're gonna make the ultimate version of that but with like monsters and like very Mexican so I was so I was really excited and but I didn't want it to feel one note like like that like you know youth culture is like you know like one thing because I know young people and I know that it's like many different things especially with like the internet you know and mm-hmm. so I kind of, like, have a notebook that I have, like, just different, like, kind of pieces, like, that they can wear. But I want it also to feel, like, real, so it's, like, stuff that they could afford. Like, so you'll not ne- like, I never, you know, like, the character of Quinte, like, I wanted very specifically everything he wears should look like it would come from a thrift store and is, like, ill-fitting. And, like, yeah. there's a character, Amy, who's, like, uh a young artist who's like uh, half Japanese, half Mexican and she should feel like she's kind of like this cool hipster girl that, you know is too cool to know that she's cool, you know so she like dresses really <laughs> cool, but it's it's very basic clothes, but she just wears them very well just because that's her like personal style, and there's the character of Julieta who's sort of like this achieve, like overachieving young uh, Afro-Latina uh, who I wanted to make her feel like you know, she's constantly, like, is in too many, like, after-school programs and, like, has, is always wearing, like, <laughs> athletic wear and, yeah. uh, like, stuff that she would just have just as almost, like, just acquired over her life of, like, okay, now I'm playing baseball, so I have a baseball jersey and I'm, you know, I'm running, so I have these, like, running shorts, but then, like, she'll just mix them and match them with, like, everything else. Like, she should, like, I wanted her to feel just very cool and, like, a, she listens to, like, Brock Hampton way, whereas the other girl listens to, like, Frankie Cosmos. And then the main kid uh, of the first issue, not the main kid in general, but mm-hmm. the main kid of the first issue is uh, Frank uh, Francisco, who uh, is, like, half... You know, uh, he's, uh, by bi- you know, biracial. That he's like, mm-hmm. mom is white, his dad is Latino and uh, Mexican, and he. I wanted him to just be like, sort of, uh, you know, like a young skater kid that I see in like in the world today. Like, wears dickies, wears like 
you know, his shirt's tucked in. Like, it's the it's it was a very specific look of like cool to me, but not overly like like he's not trying to be cool. And it's like everybody should feel a little effortlessly cool. And I hope that comes across in like the general style of like the way I put everything together. Mm-hmm. But that is the that was the idea was like none of these kids can look like they try too hard. So otherwise it wouldn't be cool, <laughs> you know. And I, you know, I have a lot of yeah. like younger cousins and nep- you know, nephews, nieces, and stuff that I look at, and if they're wearing something, I'm like, oh, okay, interesting, and I'll like kind of just store it away, and that's that informs a lot of it is just like people around me, and like, whenever I go to like a mall or something, I kind of like, you know, like quickly like sort of put what people are wearing into like a memory bank in my head, so just for like for future reference, what shoes would this person wear with this, you know? And yeah, like what for me, like that stuff is storytelling as much as anything yes. else is. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do a lot of drawings of like superheroes and they'll have shoes on and like people will ask me, like, oh, what would like Swamp Thing wear? And I was like, well, Swamp Thing wouldn't wear shoes because he's Swamp Thing. <laughs> but <laughs> but if he did, they'd be made of like bark. They wouldn't be and like, you know, vines. They wouldn't be made <laughs> out of uh, like leather and rubber. But, um, like, that's, you know, to me, like, it has to be story-driven for all of that stuff. So, yeah, uh, like, with Nighthawk, he has, like, he had on Yeezys, like, kind of famously, like, when we did that. And that was just because, like, those were high, you know, tech, technically, like, top-of-the-line materials. That guy was rich. He would be able to have access to, like, that kind of stuff. These are kids in high school, so I want them to have, yeah. like maybe two pairs of shoes max but so far i've only drawn them in the one pair that each of them have and they constantly are just like wearing you know they'll be like wearing the same shirt like multiple times or whatever and it all i just want it to feel organic that's that's, that's very important yeah i mean it's really one of the things that drew me to your art is that you actually really treat those things as being part of world building and the character development and not as an afterthought one of the other things you just hit on talking about the central cast, though, is that this book really shows that the diversity of people of, like, Chicano heritage and that it yeah. isn't just one thing. Right. Yeah, no, none of them are all, like, all of them feel like outsiders because they're all sort of, like, you know, on the borderline of any given culture, you know? Um which is, I think, very cool. It's very interesting. It was, like, an interesting way for Eric to do it. And at first when he told me about it, I was a little like, oh, I don't like it's gonna be, is it gonna be preachy? But it's not. It's like it does. I don't. I, at least I don't hope. I hope it doesn't. Um, there are sometimes yeah. maybe the kids will say something where you're like, oh, that's not worded quite the way you know an adult would word it. But that's fine because they're children, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is great. Like, um, if there's ever a thing that I don't agree with or whatever, I just kind of chalk it up to like when Steve Ditko was working on Spider-Man, he was like, yeah, like, that guy made a mistake, but he's also a teenager, so that's fine. Like, he's going to grow up to be a better person, hopefully. Well, I really love also, like, with even within the comic, you have, uh, you know, this you have characters sort of talking about identity in ways that I think is can be enlightening for the reader that might not have thought about them that way before. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I think that young people, whenever I encounter, at least the young people who I encounter, which granted, I tend to encounter young people through activist stuff, so it's or through comics. Sure. So I recognize it's maybe not representative, but like, wow, like young people are really freaking smart, and they have so much yeah. more awareness of things than I did at my age, even as an activist teenager 100%. myself. You know. Yeah. Like my my younger nieces, nephews, and stuff. When I hear them talk about like the issues that like I talk about like they're just they're so on it and they're you know younger like it's it was just different in the when i was growing up in like the bush years i was just like uh you know fuck bush but if you ask me like policy wise why i would be like i don't know (laughs) but i know i didn't like him and you know now i feel like yeah younger kids are like much more like socially conscious about all that stuff that's why it's kind of funny that like the like, there has been, like, you know, a right-wing pushback where they want to claim, like, counterculture, you know? And it's, like, it's so silly because, like, no, you're you're still not cool. 
you you know <laughs> you're still you're still uh, at the end of the day advocating for the status quo and it's that's that's never going to be cool it's just you also happen to be the minority of you know young people like you know you look at the yeah. the breakdown of like demographics in you know uh 2016 like if it was just millennials you know hillary clinton would have won like in a you know 80 to 20 percent mark you know ratio that's crazy and Mm -hmm. you know after after the election i had done like a bernie sanders print and uh, i sell it at cons and I, I only started selling it because, like, I had some people, like, ask me, oh, could you make some of those for this one? I was like, oh, sure. And I, like, sold out of it so fast. And, um, I, you know, I now I donate the mo- some of the money to, like, Our Revolution and stuff like that because I feel sort of guilty, like, awesome. profiting off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do yeah, volunteer no, it's, it's for Our Revolution though. as well, but, like, I feel sort of guilty profiting off of it because it's, like, a thing, you know? Um, but well, the best do, thing about do, that, do the though... Folks that are, wait. Do the folks at Our Revolution know who you are? Because like, like, oh, locally as an artist, <laughs> locally, but no, not... no, I mean like, I mean nationally. Okay, because I, 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 I need them to know that they have like a nationally recognized comics artist amongst the uh, supporters as a thing that they might want to. Yeah, I mean that would be great. Yeah. Um, anyway, but I know oh, people, sorry, whatever. It's all good. Anyway, moving yeah, along. Yeah, <laughs> when I was when I would bring that con, uh, the the point was when I bring that print to cons young kids go crazy over it like i'm talking like seven eight years old they love bernie sanders and like bernie sanders message is just uh his policies which is incredible like little kids are aware of like universal health care in a way that like i wouldn't have been at you know 12 you know and that's incredible to me and you know again it's part of it is you're in a bubble like i am in uh, either Northern California or a big like metropolis when I do these conventions and like the people that are bringing their kids there are you know somebody who would go to a comic convention but still that's cool that's awesome <laughs> like I'll take that you know um, and and one of the things also is that you, you have a character in here who's a neo-Nazi and right now like and you talk right well, about like, the, the comic talks about like what is he's, he's neo-Nazi you know, it's maybe adjacent not, yeah <laughs> Yeah. Adjacent, exactly. There's so many different flavors of evil, right? Um, and so there's a character design question about like what, you know, which particular social visual cues is he going to have that yeah, are I've, and and who are they legible to, right? And sure. like how ha, ha, who 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 reads them and how? So, so we the, want to talk about that design. Oh yeah, I'd love to. So it's that's that's funny because the be the first page we have like sort of different archetypes of the kind of people that fall into the alt-right specifically or like you know the sort of like oh yeah the sort of like minute men sort of border militia guys and you know that that runs a spectrum of like a lot of different kind of guys Uh, or like you know Mm -hmm. sorry not guys like people in general but specifically men and no you got a i see like you have a proud boys guy you've got got an ultra-religious guy you've got yeah you got like the rockabilly guy. guy, former military guy. Like there's a broad spectrum of guy of like assholes that would do that kind of stuff. Uh, the character yeah. of Blake, who's a you know a high school kid, we when we introduced him, we actually got a lot of like people that were kind of upset because he is straight edge in the comic. Like and people were like, well, why does he have to be straight edge? Like, what are you saying? But like the thing is, Eric and I are both straight edge. And we both love punk music, but Eric grew up in that straight edge scene in Arizona, and a lot of the people would use straight edge to justify a lot of like white supremacy kind of shit. So, hmm. like I like it, we thought it was an interesting way to like show how like that kind of can like feed into like nationalism, like the sort of Mm -hmm. like moral authority of like some straight edge people. And that was like a very interesting, uh, like note to me. And I just drew him like a cool punk kid. Cause when he, he's supposed to, um, he's supposed to be sort of like when you first see him, you don't know that he's a skinhead like that. Like he has a shaved head, but so does like a lot lot of of punk kids. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's supposed to be like a little disarming, 
that when you find out that he is like this white supremacist, it's like a betrayal for Frank because it was like a friend that he makes that immediately turns his back on him and they get into like a fight and it's a whole thing. But yeah, no, it was, uh, and his design is just supposed to be like, what would a punk kid wear? Like I have friends out that live out here that are, you know, in Stockton that are just like young punk kids. And I'm like, oh, well they would have like, you know, shorts that are cut up right above their knees. They would have, you know, just plain clothes. Like they're not spending money like that, like at a, for clothes, you know? So that was the idea for him is just, you know, he's also the only character that will wear a sweater in like hundred degree weather because he thinks it looks cool, but he's like pretending that he doesn't want to look cool, you know, like that's the mentality Mm. of this guy is that he's suffering, but he just thinks that's the, that's a good look for him. Um, but yeah, Yeah, I, Sorry, no, that's it. Like you always think about, like what commitment does it? What the commitment that it takes to maintain certain kinds of fashion adherence in very inhospitable weather, and it's a thing I, I I think a lot about as a person who lives in a place that has four seasons. Like yeah, when when I started you, designing yeah. this, I met people from Arizona that were like, okay, listen, if you're doing this, nobody can have like long sleeves, like during the day. But also, like, probably not during the night. Like, most... It's it's so hot. Like, the it'll, like, cool down to 80 degrees in Arizona sometimes. And it's, like, that's, you know... It's, like, sweltering constantly. So, um... That was definitely something that I had had in mind of, like, the design, too. Is, like, nobody can wear, like, layers of, like, a jacket or, like, a flannel or something. So that was, that was interesting. It was a fun design thing. But, you know, uh... Like, he does... Like... If somebody wears something, it's usually in the script of, like, this person has an over thing to, like, you know, for this reason. So, um, yeah. There's people who are doing monstrous things, and there's monsters that are sort of taking the form of people. And there's always a question about what what, what is the line you want to have with uh, the depictions of people behaving monstrously, like how human should they look and then you have the people the cre- people being taken over by monsters and spirits and how are you conveying what when it switches over to being like beyond human to being uh, from magic or from forces unknown um, like what kind of what, how do you distinguish that in what's like the right level of bizarre to to maintain for those kinds of design choices because you sometimes will read comics and you'll be like is this character supposed to look subhuman yeah. or is all this, my people kind of like, look you know subhuman I mean? that's the thing no 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 <laughs> i mean kidding. i'm talking I'm about kidding, like but um no i know what you mean I, I, I'm, um, I'm drawing it as a contrast there's we want to make sure that people know they're monsters so like initially i wasn't going to pull some of like the design on those characters as far as I did. Like, when you see monsters... Like, in this book specifically, like, there's a chupacabra, and, like, you know, spoiler alert, sorry, but the chupacabra can take the shape of people's fears, right? So we want it to be kind of exaggerated, just so that it's clear, except in some cases where it's not exaggerated, and that's a point, you know? Like, pointedly, there's, like, a, you know, like a sort of a rancher who sees, like, this sort of, you know crazy Danny Trejo version of like Speedy Gonzalez and then you have you know like a woman who shops at like Whole Foods who like sees like you know some alt-right like torch you know tiki torch you know caring Nazi but he's like this deformed version you see some like Mexicans Mm -hmm. that see like an ice agent and then you just see like a white woman who's like you know uh, who just sees like a black teenager in like a hooded sweatshirt and that's, I you know. loved that panel so much. Yeah, I'm so ready to be able to make that a meme. I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> oh, so yeah, it's fine. Um, that was okay. that was one of the panels that I think we got a lot of like they shared it around a lot. Just because like I think the people that were worked in promotion and stuff, they just like thought that oh that's a great page we should show that to people. So it is funny like that's become like one of the more sort of like spread. If there's any iconic images in that, it's like that one. And that one, I, like, referenced that lady in that panel on, like, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Because I wanted to someone who looked so ridiculous, you know? Like, just not like she's a ridiculous... Like, but I wanted her exaggerated, like, expression 
to just feel like, oh, who is this lady, you know? And when I thought of, like, who's the kind of, like, obnoxious lady who would, like, you know, uh, you know, it was her, obviously. It's, like, the obvious choice. Um, That's amazing. I, I totally see the Sarah Huckabee Sanders visual reference looking at the woman who was freaked out at the existence <laughs> yeah. of black people um, yeah. in her neighborhood. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then the little boy who's scared of Bane. I love it. It's a great Yeah, the Bane, the Bane one was uh, I had done a commission of Bane and I, I, you know, I was like, look, I want to combine all my favorite elements of Bane, you know, like from the different movies, comics, TV shows. So, like, I love to do that just sort of like a synthesis version of a character. And that was my Bane. And then Eric had seen it and just wrote it into the script of like, oh, here's where you draw your Bane. So, like, he's the mm. monstrous version, which is, like, Bane's already a monster, but my the monstrous version that I drew was, like, just scarier than you generally see him. Even scarier than Bane. Just that, this, this aside made me think about something. I, I used to work at a think tank, and one of the rival think tanks, because we were, like, progressive think tank, was uh, Manhattan Institute, which is a right-wing uh, conservative think tank that had a ma- has a magazine called City Journal. By the way, a lot of their articles get shared and people don't recognize that it's actually being put out by a conservative mm. policy shop that like created broken windows policing. Mm. Anyway, I'll never forget there was an article in it that was talking about the dangers of uh, multiculturalism and how it was going to actually eventually backfire on society. And the image that they were using in the magazine uh, as like the scare image, you know, where like if I was trying to have something scary, it'd be like, oh, God, it's like this tiki torch, ra- you know, Nazis rallying in, in, in Charlottesville. Like that would be my thing. Like that's the thing which, you know, would scare me for them. Their picture of their picture illustrating the story were just adorable little Mexican-American children doing a folkloric dance performance. Yeah. And I just looked at that and I was like, if you look at cute children dancing and you're like, oh, this is so terrifying you are deranged. Like yeah. there is no reality in which that is an acceptable response to looking at the picture of children. Right. So like, but and yet that was the image they were using, assuming that we all would see this image and recoil at the horror, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, um, there was like a great, um, Ted talk that I watched of Beto O'Rourke's about uh, border towns, about, like, because he's a representative mm-hmm. on a border town in Texas, mm-hmm. and he talks about multiculturalism mm-hmm. in there and how, like, you know, a lot of people, you know, like, they use it to sort of, like, propagate, like, sort of this nationalist, nationalistic sort of policies and stuff. But, you know, he talks about, like, just how beautiful it is in that area and how, like, w- there are people that work together, like, you know, of different races and stuff and, you know, uh, ethnicities, and they... It, they it makes a great community. And I grew up in an area of Northern California where, uh, in it's the central Valley, San Joaquin County, where there's a lot of farming. So it's where a lot of migrant farmers came and settled down. But then there's also like a very strong, like line of also the white farmers who have just sort of like, you know, systematically abused the migrant workers for decades, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, so, like, I, I felt a lot of that, you know, sort of, like, multiculturalism is better, like, when I was growing up, my friends were, like, white kids, and, like, an Indian, like, a kid from India, like, Indian kid, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, other Mexicans and stuff, and there was, when, when you don't have those sort of, like, borders, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the, I hate the title border town sometimes, but it also oh, really? works very well. Well, just because it's on I was so like, many levels. Yeah. yeah, that's but that's why I'm like, oh, it's a little much. But you know, it's actually like a great title. But that's why I'm just kind of like, oh, really, border town. But yeah, no, there is like it's a town on the border, and it's like where people sort of like meet up, and like the borders are like fictional, you know, like between races, between also just like places, and. Um, like growing up in this area, there's like, I grew up in like Southside Tracy, California, where there's nothing but Mexicans. All my, all my uncles are like, you know, sort of like stereotypical cholos and stuff. So, but I am not. (laughs) So 
Like, I grew up sort of, like, more uh, anglicized just because I didn't speak Spanish and that kind of thing. Um, because my grandpa and, like, my mom... My mom didn't have time to teach me. My grandpa and, so like, they thought it'd be better if I didn't have an accent because they were sort of, you know, they were growing yeah. up in a time where if you had an accent, you were treated worse. So they just didn't want their yeah. grandkids to have that experience. And that's, like, very common... Um, but that's, you know, the, I, I'm just kind of circling back, but the Beto O'Rourke thing sort of addressed all that. And I think Border Town does too. So actually like recently, like the other day, I just kind of did like a small sort of like, uh, donation drive for the Beto O'Rourke campaign just cause it was so like powerful and like influential to me. And I hate this like sort of idea that you can't sort of like live your politics and like that you should keep it separate from your art when it's like a holistic sort of expression of who you are and who I am is somebody who hates Ted Cruz and like everything <laughs> he stands for. So it was like, it was pretty yes. great. Like, you know, I did like, I just said, I put it out there. I'm like, Hey, if anybody wants to like do a couple donations, I'll send you border town sign with like a sketch on the back. And we raised, I raised like a couple hundred bucks for him, like in one afternoon. And I donated to him myself, that's so fabulous. it felt it felt great. And that's the kind of stuff that I like, you know, I think is important. And I think you know, I wish more creators would sort of like put their money where their mouth is, like, um, in terms of. I know that there's a lot of people that are on the left, but they're not like real leftists, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like I'm sort of unafraid to just be like, no, no, this is who I am. Like I, you know, I'm, you know. I listened to Chapo Trap House and, you know, I think we talked about <laughs> Sam Cedar and, you know, yes. Michael Brooks and the Young Turks and all that stuff. Tom Hartman occasionally. Well, you know, but the thing is, is like, it, it's, it's valuable for, it's valuable that you, for example, talk specifically about Beto O'Rourke's campaign, right? Right. Because you're making sure that people who might not be consuming the same amount of political media that we do know that it exists. Right. I mean, one of the things that frustrates me sometimes is a lot of people will just keep on putting all their attention and fundraising towards things folks have already heard of when I think one of the more valuable things that creators folks can bring is elevating stuff that folks aren't already necessarily thinking about and yeah you know to me as someone who like lives in politics well we all know who Beto O'Rourke is but actually the people in general don't so right. he's just barely to did with that, the campaign yeah with that like viral moment that he had was like great you know and that was awesome but I've been mm-hmm. donating to him since like last year <laughs> you know what I mean yeah um totally. and you know last year I donated to like you know uh you know or last year this year but like last year is when I was like after the election, I was like, oh, people need to, like, rally around these, like, real, like, like things that are helping people. So, like, CareSend in L.A. and, like, uh, the United Farm Workers, uh, like, I donated to them. Yes. And, like, different people like that that are, like, that are actively helping Latinos that aren't just, like, you know, tweeting about it. Like, I do tweet about it, but it's also important mm-hmm. to, like, in the ways you can donate to it or, like, you know, volunteer for it or just, like do things to improve that structurally because I feel like, you know, there are on the right, you have people that it is a holistic part of who they are. Like they go to church and they are, you know, they hear about this, you know, conservative bullshit and then they come home and they watch TV and they do the same thing. And when they're driving home, their radio's on, it's the same thing. And all the people that they talk to, it's like, they're not shy about the fact that they are Republicans. There's no shame in that. But on the left, I feel like there's so many people who think it's like a dirty word. It's uncool, like that they're that they're afraid to like express that part of them, and I think that's you know dumb, <laughs> because that's why we lose in the end. Because where we have a shame, there's like a shame was something that we should not be ashamed about. The shame that we're saying is like we want equal rights, that we want you know people to feel, uh, for there to be like you know equal opportunities and stuff and that's you know that's nothing to be ashamed about obviously yeah yeah exactly and i just think it's the 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 art that you're doing really shows that this is part of who we are holistically um and it's not something which is separate yeah um yeah i mean like it's the attention to like details and like storytelling and all that stuff is is 
as important to me as just like knowing that like you know yes um uh, even before Donald Trump came into office like uh immigrants were treated like shit in this country like yeah i had yeah. i was going on twitter like raging about that shit when nobody cared and now at least people care which is that feels great like if there's if there is a slight silver lining to like the awful situation we're in politically, it's that suddenly it's not like, like I said, it's not a dirty word to just be like, hey, this is fucked up what they're doing. Like you're allowed to say that now. Whereas, you know, when yeah. I posted pictures of like, or like articles where they had people just like in the basements of prisons sleeping in like concrete floors uh, with like, you know, foil, you know, like those like foil fucking blankets. Yeah. foil blanket things. Like, I would post that and, you know, nobody would give a shit because it didn't matter to them because yeah. they, they, you know, it was easier when Obama was president to pretend that things were good everywhere and they just weren't. So. And we would get lots of blowback talking about like the deporter in chief and that like they like don't didn't oh, want yeah. to hear it. It's like, but that is what's happening. This is an increase in the number of people being deported. That is what's happening. Yeah. So wh- one of the things that I know you've uh, been outspoken about is you know talking that as you said the, the medium itself is political and that the media we consume is political and you know obviously we we both have seen um, some people who purport to be comics fans some of whom may in fact be comics fans uh, really developing you know into organized hate mobs to harass creators and fans who are people of color or queer uh, or women or non-binary and I'm I'm wondering, you know, because you've you've been doing work in the comic field for a while. Have you seen an increase in the amount of harassment that you've been dealing with most recently with the recent like quote Comicsgate quote harassment campaign, or is it pretty much been consistent during your time working in in comics?
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it for a long time, people who were big influencers in the field thought that they didn't have a moral obligation to take on the hate mobs and they really left trans women in particular to deal with it on their own and now finally really living up to their obligation to the community to speak out Yeah, but I'm just really appreciate that people are able to talk honestly about it because I think that a lot of people were trying to avoid even confronting it for a long time, which obviously didn't help and just made people who were being victimized be more alone. So. Well, thank you for joining us. I, uh, if you, is the series is an ongoing or do you know how long it's going to be going for? That's great. Do you have any other projects coming out you can tease us about? Yes. Yeah, I mean, artists, it's all consuming. You can only do so much at a time. Well, thank you again. Uh, where's the best place for our listeners to keep abreast of your work online? Are you doing any cons soon? Huh. Gotcha. I was so sad, but completely understanding that you weren't going to be able to be on my New York Comic Con panel because, like, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Nope. It's not. Yep. <laughs> Completely legitimate. Although, I guess... Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you take care of you, and if they're not paying to take care of you, then you have no obligation. I'm just bummed because I have a panel. Yeah, no worries. And I guess I'm just saying for the purpose of our listeners, if any of you guys are going to be going to New York Comic Con, I'm actually on two panels on the Saturday of New York Comic Con. Um, and this is a first for me. I haven't been on any of them ever. Uh, the one that I really wanted to have Ramon on, but schedules do not align, is called Old Classics, New Voices, Diverse Creators Rate the Comics Canon. And that's going to be uh, me as moderator. My panelists are Magdalene Visaggio, Saladin Ahmed, Desiree Rodriguez, and Regine Sawyer. And we are going to talk about the old comics that we love and why and what it's like reading older comics that were often intended for a white male audience that might have been reading it in the 80s, for example, when we might some of the folks on my panel weren't yet learning how to read um, and what it's like for us to be reading and loving those comics and stories when we might not be the people who were envisioned as the audience. You know, how do we feel when there's stuff that doesn't really brush up with our identities the way we'd like it to be 
Thank you. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh my God, this was such a good fit for you, but I totally understand you can't do it. So anyway, that's going to be on Saturday. And so is the other panel I'm on, which is uh, the New York Times Times Out LGBTQ panel that they do every year, which is on the Saturday evening. Um, but yeah, the uh, new creators one is at 345 at room 1C03. So anyway, thank you for listening to me do some minor self-promotion of my own stuff. This has been Graphic Policy Radio. I'm your host, Elon Eleven. Of course, you can find me on Twitter all the damn time at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Elana underscore Brooklyn. I'm at graphicpolicy.com. The Venture Brothers podcast will be back this week again and uh, also next week. And... Uh, you can always visit graphicpolicy.com for our news and reviews of comics. I know everyone on the site has been really excited about Border Towns. So thank you for joining us, Ramon. Talk to you soon. We did. We did. We had a huge election victory. And um, thank you for your emotional support. Absolutely. Talk to you later. And to our listeners, keep it geeky.